Hi, this is Paul with the Post-Evangelical Podcast. And you know, I was a senior pastor of an evangelical church, and my wife was a two-term mayor of our city of Fresno, California, fifth largest city in the most populous state in America. And so we have a pretty interesting perspective on the two things you never talk about at parties, religion and politics. And so we love to get together on a fairly regular basis and talk about religion and politics. And we did so recently in a live, and I wanted to release it to you as a podcast so it would get a little bit wider spread out there for people to hear because we feel like we bring a perspective on some things that are interesting to talk about. My wife and I have been on a journey of rethinking our faith for quite some time, and we love to share what that journey looks like for others that are on a similar journey. And in this episode, we talk about five important things to know as you rethink your faith. In fact, I've written an ebook about it, we'll tell you about, and we talk about it in this podcast. So Ashley Swearingen, former mayor of Fresno, Paul Swearingen, former senior pastor of an evangelical church, talking about rethinking your faith. And that's our podcast today. My podcast used to be called The Nonpartisan Evangelical because we were trying to change something in the church. Now we're calling it the post-evangelical podcast because we're looking forward to what does emotional and spiritual well-being look like in this season and look like as we all pursue it together in community. So let's talk about it. My wife Ashley joins me on this edition of the post-evangelical podcast. Enjoy. As to kind of how we started doing this Saturday morning thing together. Yeah. Do you, I mean, it's been probably at least a year and a half. And and I remember because we, it was around locally, council member Arias. Oh, yeah. Having like proud boy types show up on his, one of our local like, I, officials had like. Who is a person of color. Of yeah. Latin. Had people showing up on his doorstep and in his apartment complex with his kids inside. And they were like banging and they were filming this whole thing. And, um, and by people, you mean proud boys? Well, the, I don't think technically affiliated, but some kind of similar type of vibe. Yeah. And, um, and, and for sure in the name of Jesus, I, I do probably recall that. Um, and they were pounding on the door. And I remember being so frightened by like all this stuff that of course we had already been seeing for, you know, months and months at that point. Um, but it was like, all it was like right almost in our living room, you yeah. know, cause, cause we had this friend on the other side of that door with two young kids. And I just could imagine what it would feel like to have that going on in my own family. And, um, so it really shook us and it was like, Oh my God, we've, we've got to create an outlet to talk to people about how this is absolute nonsense. And that's, that's what I remember is how we started doing. And people really grabbed onto it. But now we've decided that there are some conversations that just can't take place with some people. So <laughs> right. we're, we're hoping to change that. Okay, but, so yeah. here where we, here's what we want to talk about today. Five things to do when you are rethinking your beliefs. Five, okay. five things to do when rethinking your beliefs. Word, so, I love the deconstruction community and that we have all this here, but I really like the word rethinking. A lot better. Yeah. Um, I do think there is a time to tear down, but I like more of just like 
challenging our beliefs. So this is what to Opening do when, yourself up. when rethinking our so beliefs. So this is like conditioning yourself right. to rethink slash deconstruct. Okay, so number one, know your true identity. Yeah, a big problem that we're seeing in culture of what we've just been talking about is that as human beings, we are inherently pack animals and our identity tends to come from our community and particularly in the space of religion or ideology, community forms around beliefs. And so if our identity is I'm a Christian in such and such evangelical church, then we have to buy into the belief system to be a part of that community. And so what becomes important in a season where we start to think, could my community have it wrong? Is we have to know who we are personally, what our personal identity is apart from that community. Because it's scary when you start questioning the community, the community gets threatened and will say, hey, if you ask those questions, you're not gonna get to be a part of the community anymore. And that is a very scary thing. So it's important that we realize when Jesus commanded, love your neighbor as yourself, there is an implicit command in that to love yourself. We have to have empathy for ourselves, grace for ourselves, and start to say, wait a second, who am I yeah. as a human being? And the funny thing of religion is it actually breaks down that idea by saying, original sin theology, you're made of dirt, you're terrible, we're all sinners, we're all terrible people. I want to tell you, as a human being, you are inherently valuable. And once you start to understand that reality, you can start to work toward, hmm, I can question my community. In fact, Romans 12, 2 commands me to question my community belief system. So it takes a strong person to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think like one of the things I've learned from hanging around you is, um, and this is what you do with your, um, with the reconstruction you stuff is like, is really understanding that there is space for, for you to know yourself really well, love yourself really well. And, um, and I just don't think the Christian community that I grew up in, like really spent a lot of time, um, teaching or training or supporting people in going through that journey. Yeah. In my coaching cohort, it is all based on this very central question of, am I good? Do I deserve good things to happen in my life? Invariably, everybody I ask that question to says, yeah, I'm good, but dot, dot, dot. And, and I truly believe the message of Jesus and that Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but to sozo it is to restore the belief that we have inherent value as a creation of God or as an existence in the universe or as a human being that says, I deserve good things because I exist. All right. So number two in the list of five things to do when rethinking your beliefs. Number one, know your true identity. Number two, update your mindset. Yeah. When we're, when our identity has been coming from a community, there is safety and value that we glean from that community. So we develop a mindset of how we interact with the world as being a part of that community. And so that mindset may have been, or at least seemed profitable in the past. And I use the example of Stanley Kowalski, Clint Eastwood's character in the movie Gran Torino, that he was taught as a soldier in Korea that those 
Asian people on the other side are less human than we are and therefore killing them is a good thing because it will help me survive and get back home. But then, and, and we can argue whether that's really a good mindset or not, but to Stanley Kowalski, he felt it was a good mindset because it saved his life perhaps in getting him home. But then when the Mong family moves in next door to his home, he begins to realize that mindset that he may have felt was profitable before is now holding him back from relationship in his neighborhood. And by allowing the mindset to be changed and saying that old mindset is not serving me now in this new season, he not only gained relationship, but purpose in life. So it's really important to review and, and debrief our interactions with humanity around us to start to say, huh, am I living out of an old mindset of the, the Bible? Uh, Jesus talked about you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. You've got to say what is happening today and where are we today? And so even with the Bible and how we view the Bible, it, did I learn something in the past that may have served me well there, but is not serving me well now? And I need to rethink what my mindset looks like as it impacts my interactions with the world around me in this season. So that as Romans 12, two says, I keep going back to be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind so you can know what is good and right in the season. I love that you got so much out of that movie. That was a great movie. Grant Torino, if you could um, talk to Clint Eastwood today, what would you what would you talk to him about? Uh, I actually probably would talk to him about the good, the bad, and the ugly because I like that movie. <laughs> That's one of my all time all time favorite movies, and shot in Italy and in Italian and all that yeah. stuff. But uh, for about Grant Torino, I would just say it you changed know, your life. Fantastic movie. Um, it did. It, it, it impacted not that you. I wasn't already. I say it changed your life. It impacted you greatly. Yeah. Not only that, I, uh, I mean, it just really says this is why looking at our racial constructs are so important yeah. for how we interact with one another as human beings. Yeah. I wonder if it changed his life doing that movie. Could be. Anyway. The ending is so good. So good. There's a lot of violence and a lot of racial so slurs great. and all kinds of things. So be prepared for that. Yeah. But it is so worth it. It's, it's a beautiful, worth a beautiful watch. movie. Yeah. Okay, number three. One of those movies, by the way, where at the end when it was over, total silence in the theater. Everybody was like, I can't believe what I just saw. Did Who did you see it with? Uh, your, uh, with uh, your sister's husband, Todd. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law. Brother yeah. Yeah. Just you two? Just the two of us went. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Number three, let go of the need to be right. So this is a big one. You you have a saying. I I think you gleaned this from somebody yeah, else, but Dad. I always give you credit for it, that being right is the booby prize. We can become so ingrained in our side is right, and we have to defend that rightness. I have to be right, um, that we miss the chance to learn and grow and find out something new. Um, particularly in the space of race for us, we had to sit down and hear things from our friends from communities of color and, and, and inside it felt like, wait a second, that's so unfair, that's not me. I hear this all the time from people, well, my church isn't like that or I'm not like that or my friends aren't like that. Jesus said to people, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we don't even eat pork and now you're telling us to be cannibals? And a bunch of them said, that's it, we're out. And they didn't get to hear then the context that Jesus later shared about that because they weren't willing to walk through a fence 
not a fence, but offense to get to truth. We have to hear things that press against our rightness to be able to hear what is truth in a season. So you're going to have to put down the right to be right to be able to hear truth in a given season. Yeah. Relationship. That's what Sherry Wiedenhofer, when we did our first little experimental Paul and Ashley live social media thing, that's what we were talking to Bryce Yoakum and Sherry Wiedenhofer about. And you, cause you kept asking Sherry, like, but how do you know what is right? You know? And she's yeah. like, stop thinking about what's right. It's about relationship. And it was, I still remember that moment. Okay. Um, so number four, don't let language get in the way. Yeah. It's become the stock and trade of ideological and religious uh, mentalities and mindsets to use what I call boogeyman words. We, we get words. So in, in Christian tradition, and I blame most of this on James Dobson, we have these words like traditional family that then become just billy clubs to be used. Like, well, maybe we are supposed to go out and support Black lives in this Black Lives Matter movement and Christians just say, traditional family, they're against the traditional family. And it shuts down thought and discussion. And of course, we see words like socialism and CRT being weaponized. And of course, abortion and all these, they're, they're weaponized to stop discussion. And so we have to start to say, when a, a, a boogeyman word or a buzzword is used and it shuts down discussion, it's important to say, wait a second, what does that word actually mean to me? And then to ask the person in front of us, what does that word mean to you? And we quite often start to see that word doesn't mean what you think it means. I don't think as I think yeah. quoting, uh, uh, I'm trying to think now what that movie was, but you know, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And so when we hear the word socialism and that says, well, I have to vote Republican because of socialism. We have to say, what does socialism mean to you? And where do you see that happening? And are you positive that word isn't being used to manipulate you with a community narrative? And so we have to be very careful to know that we're not getting sidetracked by, by language. And, and then in the deconstruction, rethinking our faith world, it'll be things like uh, inerrancy of scripture or God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Just these little Google catchphrases that say stop thinking and get stuck in your old mindset. And we have to start to say, but but what does that mean that God is the same yesterday, today and forever when God didn't didn't condemn David for having a virgin in his deathbed? But none of us would say that's a godly activity today. We have to be able to let ourselves have these these thinking moments. We do get passionate about these conversations sometimes. Let me interrupt for just a moment to tell you about something special we have coming up. It's a webinar discussion called Am I Still a Christian? As we're talking about these issues of rethinking our faith, one of the questions I get more than anything else is, can I still call myself a Christian? Is God okay with me rethinking my faith? Or is God mad at me and I'm sort of on the outside looking in now? And even, am I going to hell? So it's a really important question to ask. Am I still a Christian? And let me give you a spoiler alert for this webinar. Not only do I believe it's okay to rethink our faith, I think it's a command 
of the Bible. And we'll talk about it in this free webinar we have coming up called Am I Still a Christian? You can find out more information at my website, pastor-paul.com. And let me tell you, we have a gift for you for signing up for this webinar. It's an ebook that I wrote that has to do with the conversation Ashley and I are having today. It's called Five Important Things to Know as You're Rethinking Your Faith. And we talk about these issues of what does rethinking my faith look like? Go to pastor-paul.com, sign up for the Am I Still a Christian webinar. It's absolutely free. And we'll give you the free gift of the ebook just for signing up. Pastor-paul.com is the website. Go there, sign up for the webinar, get your free ebook, and we'll hang out and start talking about whether we can still call ourselves Christians or not. And speaking of five important things to know as you're rethinking your faith, that's exactly what my wife Ashley and I are talking about in this podcast. Let's get you back to it now at the post-evangelical podcast that you can hear on pastor-paul.com. I think it's just like it's just throwing a, a monkey wrench in the sort of in the tribalism thing just like just time out like again you put all this stuff together and it boils down to know who you are um realize that you, you know you are unique and loved and you know you carry eternal love in you other people do too and like connect with that and talk, you know, uh, like give people the honor and the respect to like, to have that too and try to understand each other. You know, and as an example from a discussion I had with a guy yesterday, you know, I am, I am deep on this, you know, the story of Jesus is that God in heaven, whatever that looks like to you, wants to walk in partnership with humanity and not have a set of rules that, that describes sin, but sin being, just violation of relationship. And so, you know, so of course the guy, uh, you know, quotes uh, the verse from Romans that says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and for most, you know, for a lot of Christians, it would be like, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Boy, for a second, yeah. I, was believing, I was believing something new, but, and and what the, what that person couldn't understand, I, I tried to explain like, no, you're, you're taking a colloquialism of the time that Paul was using to set up a premise and then knock it down with the premise of the story of Jesus. And, and so you've Googled a verse that you hear over and over again and say, this kills the argument right here. And we have to be careful to start to say, well, what is the Bible actually saying when it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? That it, it's not saying what you think it says. It's it's there's there's broader constructs that you then have to totally ignore from the rest of the Bible to just say, well, this verse shuts all discussion down around that. So don't let language get in the way of rethinking your faith. Okay. And last but not least, my favorite number five: selfishness divides, selflessness changes the world. Now this is one you love. Let's just do a big slow clap mic drop on that one. <laughs> selflessness. But you know what I've learned, like when you're on social media or like Zoom or whatever, you can't, you shouldn't clap in the microphone. So you're just doing an ear. No, that's really weird. <laughs> I do that all the time in my office. We just slow clap it out. Anyway, selflessness changes the world. Just 
just, just does marinate on that for just a yeah. bit. You know, the interesting thing is Jesus said, Here, here's my command. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this Bible scholar comes to him and says, how do I inherit eternal life? Which was, uh, a, again, a very common saying of the day that meant, how do I how do I sort of be my best and exceed my generation kind of a thing? And Jesus says, well, I, I don't know. What do you think? You know, he kind of puts it back on him. And the, and the guy then quotes that statement, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, great job. You got it. You're exactly right. That's how you inherit eternal life. And the guy thinks for a second and he's like, yeah, but who's my neighbor? You know, so he's looking for, he's the looking loophole. for the out. What's, well, yeah, the, <laughs> what's the loophole? And, and so Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were people that a guy like this religious person asking this question would passionately hate, just like Christian evangelicals would hate Kamala Harris, our vice president, you know, like the somebody they think is, is the worst, Nancy Pelosi, the, the worst human being on earth, the one that has to be just, you know, they have every right to despise that person. And Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And at the end, he says, so who's the neighbor in the story? And, and the religious guy can't even bring himself to say, well, the Samaritan. Yeah. He can't, like, he can't say Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi did a good job. He can't say that. <laughs> Sorry, I just clapped in the mic. He can't say, he says, well, the one who helped. You know, yeah. he, he can't even bring himself to, lady, to say it. That lady. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus says, so now you've defined your neighbor. And later Jesus would say, if you only love those who love you, if you only love those on your side in your community, how are you any better than the tax collectors? How are you any better than the person considered the worst sinner in culture? And, and so Jesus said, the way you change culture isn't by invading the Capitol building and smearing shit on the wall. It's by serving and dying for others. That if you're forced to live under the injustice of carrying a Roman soldier's uh, equipment for a mile. The way you display power is not by, you know, doing something crazy to show how in unjust this is. You say, you know what? I'm powerful enough. I'm going to go two miles and that'll show you who's really powerful in this situation. And, and we've seen that idea of sort of nonviolence being a really powerful tool and weapon. And, and I really think it is what Jesus was saying to us that if you want to change the world, it's not like going and accruing political power so you can impose and dominating your and, bondage and, on others. You know, and impo yeah, imposing imposing your views on other people. Yeah, it's by loving your neighbor as yourself, and so that means you're going to have to learn to be really powerful in here and really powerful in relationship, and that's how you change the world. You, Jesus, changed the world by dying for it mm -hmm. and by telling the executioners, "I forgive you." I know that you're being manipulated into this too. So there's something that we're going to have to lay down Love in our rethinking to say, wow. how do I serve rather than trying to win? Evangelical church, we're driving off two generations with our desire for power. Maybe there's another way to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Selflessness. Yeah. So, you know, Paul said, hey, 
At the end of the day, we're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're not male nor female. We're not heterosexual and, 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 and LGBTQIA+. We are all human beings. And as we learn to live with each other in that space. And again, that doesn't mean like then I acquiesce to all evil. It's like, hey, I'm going to look at you and say, there's something valuable in you and every interaction I do with you is going to take that into account yeah. as we interact together. It really is like, I think, um, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, grew up in the 80s, you know, Clinton, Reagan, more I guess Reagan, Clinton, you know, very thriving economy, like kind of, I just, the 80s, right? The like, I, I don't know, yuppies and, and all that kind of stuff that that was sort of the world and there was a lot that I took for granted or I just kind of assumed that you know the foundation of society in my neighborhood my community in this western democracy was safe and firm it and also it felt like larger than life and you know just so so established and what I've been thinking about over the last couple of years is first of all it's a lot more fragile than I realized um, try not to be too uh, breathless about that fact, because I think that's been true throughout our country's history. Um, so this isn't the first time that people have been confronted with that. But what seemed to be so complicated and entrenched and, you know, this labyrinth of laws and governmental agencies and jurisdictions, et cetera, that it, it really is quite simple. It really is. It really does boil down to, um, individual people choosing to see value in others and realizing that um, that that we're better off like looking out for one another than just trying to you know duke it out and made the best person survive it really just comes down to that and then when you think about all of the laws and all of the things that have developed around that core concept that's that's our that's our country yeah and so if I'm feeling like, that seems to be threatened and fragile, then I think, well, then just go back to, you know, what are those foundational concepts? And I don't necessarily probably get drawn to read about, um, you know, what are, are, who are recognized as, as our nation's founders, like kind of the way they expressed it. I, I think I just like to think about it in modern times and like, you know, how am I thinking about other people and whether or not um, I'm, keeping my heart in a place of where I want other people to have room to live, to love, to express themselves um, and, and to have value for other people. And it's just that mutuality, you know, it's that mutuality. Mm. So it's good. I like it. Do you? I do. I do. I think that's really important. Our friend Craig is saying hi on the good morning, Craig. YouTube, by the way. Yeah. I, you know this this journey really started for for us back even in the the gw bush administration even then it was like hey this right-wing media and all this stuff seems a little bit off and 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 then when president obama got elected to see just the pure hatred of president obama by the church was such a wake-up call oh my gosh it, it like the Obama wave was such a tsunami for the political right that they literally clinched their butts and thought to themselves, if we don't 
if we don't um, tank this ship right now, we will not see the White House. We will not see political power for like 50 years. So they they instantly went in on like, we've got to take them apart. We've got to take them apart because, you know, Obama engaged young people, a coalition that had not been previously engaged. They, you know, broke all this ground on like small dollar giving. And all of a sudden it was, you know, they, they created this movement that seemed to be unstoppable. Yeah. So the, that was 100% the reason for the all the stuff on the right that came up in response you know and and as a pastor i was i was challenging people with the idea of even if he even if he wasn't your candidate like wasn't your heart moved to see 70 year old black men crying to say i never thought i would see a black president in my lifetime and now i've seen it i mean that mm. that that moved my heart like I voted for President Obama both times that he ran, and I never could tell anybody that I had to keep it secret for a long time. And the funny thing is now, you know, now 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 the people who voted for Mitt Romney in that election hate Mitt Romney too. So. I like Mitt Romney still. So. Yeah. Well, okay. So in in fact, I remember talking to um, and I worked so much with the Obama administration. I when I was mayor of our city, because um, I was just like, man, I, on the merits, you know, we I believe in a like world where you just work with folks. And when you feel like they're not doing what you think is the right thing to do, you get to say it. If they're doing great stuff that's helping like our community, then you say it and you just try to keep it honest. And um, so, um, so I, my administration, we work with them all the time. I was constantly like the only Republican in the room um, or in many cases at, you know, stuff back in DC. And um, I remember talking to, well, he started off as the HUD secretary, Sean Donovan, and then he was the director of the Office of Management and Budget um, towards the end of the administration. And I told him, like, I didn't vote for, I didn't vote for for President Obama. He goes, we didn't even get you in, you know, in 2012. I'm like, no. I mean, he's like, gosh darn it, like, what does a person have to do to earn your vote? And I was like, well, I don't know, probably, whatever. I mean, you know, I think I think Mitt Romney was a would have been. I think he's a good executive, is what I'll say. And so whatever, I thought, you know, it wasn't like I hate Obama. I love yeah. it. It was just, you know, it's just a vote. And we live in California. So the Electoral College, obviously, we know where that was going. But whatever, I'm way off track. The point but, is, I mean, the point was, like, why has why why had ideology so taken over Christianity that we had to hate the president? And you know, he, you know, we heard all these things. He wasn't born here. I remember my Christian friend saying, you, you know, their marriage is a sham, right? You know, like the second they're out of office, they're getting divorced. Well, hello, it's now so 2022. So they're still married. Their daughters seem to be really great people. And, and they seem to be the classic Christian traditional family. And the thing that's so crazy about it all is like you, you and I were at one of those national prayer breakfasts where the Russians were trying to infiltrate uh, Christian uh, yeah, It might have been the very one. It I mean, might have been the very one. It was in 2014. And let us just say, maybe that was the beginning. And we heard President Obama give his testimony of becoming a Christian. And it, it was as heartfelt and authentic sounding as any testimony of, of a Christian transformation as I've ever heard. And and Christians were like, oh, he's not a he's lying. He's you know what church he went to, and then here comes President Trump, and everybody's like, well, sure, he may want to grab women, you know, 
by the you know, but two Corinthians. But he's a Christian, you know, and and so it's just the hypocrisy of it all that displays our heart. And so I saw Lisa's comment in on YouTube. Can you ever imagine a future where we might say Trump was a blessing in disguise for any reason? I actually say that now. I I think if if any prophet was right in saying Trump is supposed to be president. I think the reason God would want Trump to be president is not to be a messiah to save our country, but that it exposed really dark things in the heart of Christians and Christianity in America. Yep. And, and that is the blessing. If we can disguise. get through it, I think we'll say it's been worth it, that all this stuff needed to come to the surface. And it was really um, a cleansing and a, like a get it all out. and reset for you know the next 250 years and that and if we can steward this moment now which i think is largely why paul you do what you do every day because it's our generation like we have to steward this we have to we have to get through to the other side and we have to think about um people like 100 years from now what are we doing today for that generation i mean we we see stories in the bible where you know god gives Israel, the king they asked for. He says, King Saul's a really bad idea, but if this is who you want because he looks powerful and you think he's going to make you powerful and you're going to get to defeat your enemies in war, great. I'm going to give you that and you're going to see what a bad idea that is. So it is quite possible that Donald Trump was the answer to Christian prayer. You know, it was like Kristen Dumay, the writer of Jesus and John Wayne says, Christians didn't hold their nose and vote for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was exactly the president they wanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and that's the thing. We In 1 Kings 22, we see God lying to the king through the prophets so that the king would go up to war and get killed. So the idea that, you know, if somebody wants to say, well, God wanted Trump to be president, I would say if he did, and if God is a he altogether, but if, if God wanted Donald Trump to be president, I believe it's to expose this really dark, nasty heart of American evangelicalism, which yep. it has truly, truly cool. done. By the way, we were talking about buzzwords earlier. So you see here somebody saying Obama supported abortion, hypocritical. So again, it's like that word ends discussion. Yeah. We, we just all know that yeah. if we say abortion, that ends all discussion and thought and reason. There's nothing else that can happen. So. Again, let me go back to being able to be thoughtful and always thinking and being renewed in a season. You can't be controlled and manipulated by buzzwords. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with my wife, Ashley, and this podcast. This wasn't the end of our discussion. We kept going and talked about Republican politics and the fact that we're distressed that the Republican Party is now calling January 6th legitimate political discourse. Want to hear that conversation? You can get it as a bonus episode that's offered exclusively to the Pastor Paul support community on our website at pastor-paul.com. Go to pastor-paul.com, click on the support Pastor Paul button, and for as little as $5.99 a month, you can join this community where you'll get exclusive content like this bonus episode of my discussion with Ashley this week. 
Can you believe it, by the way, that the Republicans are calling January 6th legitimate political discourse? Or maybe you feel like that's unfair to talk about. We brush on that issue as well. It's a bonus episode available only to the Pastor Paul support community. And of course, while you're there at the website, pastor-paul.com, make sure to sign up for the webinar, Am I Still a Christian? An absolutely free Pastor Paul webinar and discussion group that leads to our deconstruction new discussion groups down the line. Join us February 24th and 26th. Am I Still a Christian? A free webinar with Pastor Paul. Go to the website to find out about it all at pastor-paul.com. We'll see you again soon.